Welcome to the Renaissance Church Podcast. Our mission is to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the gospel into all of life in all the earth. This is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church here in Richmond, Texas. And if you've not joined us in a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we would love to have you join us. You can find out more information at rin-church.org. And I pray that you are encouraged and edified by the proclamation of God's word today. We're finishing our series called In. We're looking at this thread throughout the book of Ephesians that we are in Christ, that we're in him, that we're united with him, that we're united together in him. It's a beautiful thing. And so we've been sort of unearthing that together. We're going to start in verse 10 of chapter 6. And this is what... Paul says, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having prepared everything to take your stand, stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me, that the message may be given to me, that when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. This is the word of the Lord. I want to pray for us this morning as we dive in. Let's pray together right now. Father God, I just want to ask that as we open your word, that you would open our hearts, that you'd open our minds. Father, I do pray specifically over this passage that we're uh, talking about today, God, that you would just give us that extra measure of your grace to perceive what's in it. Lord, we ask that you would confront the things in us that need to be confronted, that you would encourage things in us that need to be encouraged. And God, I just, I just speak the very peace of the Lord Jesus Christ over every heart in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So last week, we talked about the household codes, and I used the word cringy, right, kiddos? And I shared about watching a Hallmark movie with my sons, and one of them said, oh, this is so cringy right now, right? Okay. And we talked about the household, co- uh, the household codes and how those words could be cringy in our culture, and you can go back and listen to that if you missed it, right? But this Sunday, what we're talking about might be considered kooky in our culture, right? It's just kooky, right? I, I remember as a young man, I uh, received Christ about the senior year of, my, of, of high school. I'd been a believer about 
three months and I got invited to a Bible study at our church called A Walk Through the Bible. And I had a, a very simple theology, a very simple understanding, like there's God and there's people and people need God because people have sin and Jesus is our savior. And like, I knew that and I knew I needed that and all that kind of stuff. And I, 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 was, I was all in for that. And then I go to this Bible study and they start walking through the whole Bible and they, they get to the, the prophets, the minor prophets, and, and all this like prophecy and then like the end times. And then we start talking about the devil and demons. And I'm like, what? What have I gotten myself into, right? It's almost like that, that feeling when we start talking about the things that Paul talks about in this passage, spiritual warfare, the reality of spiritual darkness. There's something in us many times as Christians where we just want to like slowly back away these are the weirdos, okay? We're going to walk away slowly from this crazy church that's talking about demons. But here's my concern for us, is that we could be the kind of people, almost like the child who doesn't want to hear what you're saying, and they put their hands in their ears, and they're like, la, 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 I can't hear you, right? That when we come to the plain teaching of the Bible that we could have a chosen, comfortable ignorance about the reality of spiritual warfare. I'm afraid that too many Christians act like this isn't real. That, you know, that's for a previous time, a primitive people. They're not as advanced as we are. People who don't know all the stuff that we know. They don't have doctors and medicines and diagnoses that we have today. And so all that stuff, that's really not for us anymore. And we don't have to worry about that. And I want to tell you uh, from the word of God that is absolutely false and that we actually need to be uh, taking the posture that Paul calls us to in this passage it's really, really important. I also believe it's important because we are, um, we are people who have lived in a nation that has had a, a lot of good spiritual heritage. And because of that, there's been this umbrella of covering over us as citizens of our nation where we have not had to see some of these things up front and personal, okay? But my sense is that that's changing. And that as all the, just as they were dealing with the gods of the nations and the, all the things that, they, that Jesus was confronting in his ministry, guess what? You and I are going to be confronting this more and more and more. In college, I went to a retreat. I've told you this story before. And it was a retreat where we took a spiritual inventory of our lives and we looked at all the different parts of our lives and the sin areas and we would confess our sins and repent of those and we would renounce them and we would, you know, walk through. This was a beautiful time and it's one of those retreats where everyone's like, I just feel like I lost like 20 pounds of just like, ugh, in my life, okay? 
And at the end, the pastor is praying for, you know, all the people who've gone through the tree, and they're praying that the Holy Spirit would just fill everyone. We've been emptying out all this gunk out of our lives, and that Holy Spirit would just come and fill every person. And he's just going, going through the line, he prays for me, and I'm, you know, I'm receiving, Lord, just fill me, right? And he gets to my buddy, and now this is my friend, he's a Christian, he's, he's, he's heavily involved in our college ministry, he's a Christian, like he said, he's a believer in Christ, and he's gone through this whole retreat, and whenever my, uh, the, my pastor gets to him and starts praying for that the Holy Spirit would fill him, all of a sudden, my friend, who I've known for a long time, starts saying the most hateful things to this pastor. And he's just like looking at him with this look in his eyes. And then his hands start doing this weird like curling thing. And I'm like, what is going on right now? The pastor had the wisdom to recognize exactly what was going on, and he began to speak against and to cast out this evil spirit that had gotten into my friend's life and told that thing to leave. And after a few minutes, my just peace came over him. He falls on the ground. I was like, this is it's like the Pentecostal church. People are falling down. And I had that, um, that moment, almost like the walk through the Bible moment, where I'm like, oh my gosh, this is real. When you look at the context of the book of Ephesus, go to Acts chapter 19, you can hear about the church starting. Paul, it says God was doing extraordinary miracles through the hands of Paul to where um, it was so unusual that even face cloths and aprons that he had used that had touched him were being sent to people and they were being healed and it says that evil spirits were coming out of them like my friend just by touching a piece of cloth that's where we get the televangelist thing like send me $200 and I'll send you this face cloth right Paul wasn't sending saying send me $200 okay <laughs> but that's where it comes from and the seven sons of Sceva were these traveling, itinerant Jewish exorcists, okay? They were not Christians, they were Jewish. And they were seeing Paul's method of this name of Jesus thing, and they're like, well, let's try that. And so they're dealing with this person who has an evil spirit, and they begin to rebuke it in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And it says that this man, he has this supernatural strength. He overpowers them, and they run out of that, that house. They were na na naked and bleeding. That went really wrong, right? Like, I would hate to have that happen at a ministry time at Renaissance Church. Like, we don't want to leave naked and bleeding, right? <laughs> And the thing was, all the people that were Christians heard about this and they had the, oh my gosh, this is real moment. And it says that the Christians that had been practicing um, witchcraft and the occult, they brought all their magic books and they burned them and the, the value of them was in the millions of dollars millions of dollars today, not because they're neo-Nazis that are like, let's, you know, get rid of this. But it was like, literally like, no, this is evil and spiritual evil is connected to this stuff. So let's just get rid of it. Let's burn it. We're not going to put on Facebook, you know, marketplace, whatever. Like we're going to get rid of this because this does not to be in anyone's life. And so this is the, the context of that Paul's writing to, 
And they know that this is real, or at least they've heard the stories about the whole seven sons of Sceva thing. And all these people who have had these, you know, they're bringing all this and they're seeing like people freed from this junk. But what Paul is saying is, look, I know that's a part of your heritage, but what you need to understand is that that was a beautiful moment in our lives, but there is a scheme and it's evil and it's not over yet. It's not over yet, and you need to put on the armor of God. The first thing that I want us to see in what Paul says is that spiritual warfare is real, but so is God's strength. So is God's strength. He warns them about the schemes, and that that word schemes, it's the Greek word methodeia, which we get our word method from. The methodea, it's the method, it's, it's the clever, crafty, subtle, deceptive way that the, 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 the evil one is scheming against believers. He's not talking to people who are outside the church, who are still, you know, doing all their things. He's talking to Christians and saying, look, you know, you guys need to be aware. You need to be alert because this is actually, it's, it's coming against you. There are schemes, methodea. And he, he tells them, he spells it out for them, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, meaning it's going to feel like there's people attacking you or doing things towards you or persecuting you or, or whatever. Like It's going to look like people coming at you, but it's not that. I mean, it is that, but it's not really the problem. The problem is this. It's against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. To which all of us are like, that sounds kooky. The word struggle is, is often translated as wrestle. Do we have anybody who wrestled in high school? Any wrestlers? Now it's a different church. They all go to a different church, right? <laughs> no wrestlers here. It's a close hand-to-hand battle. And one is trying to subdue the other. That's the picture that he's painting, that it's, it's a struggle. It's a, it's a wrestling match. And he gives these terms that there are rulers, and that could also be um, translated as a principality, a ruler, a principality. He, he says that there are authorities, and that carries with it a, a sense of jurisdiction, authority. And that's really important as we think about the battle that we're facing, is that what we're facing are evil spirits that want to get jurisdiction over your life, over a, a geographical area. Like, they are wanting to impose evil upon people, and they want to have free access to that person and to that area. Jurisdiction cosmic powers of this darkness, and, and the powers is plural, and he's talking about the devil and his demons, and it says evil spiritual forces in the heavens. These are depraved, malevolent, um, wicked, unclean, impure spirits, and they are in the heavens or in the high places which tells us something. 
that just like an earthly government has a hierarchy and a system and a chain of command that he's saying like this is the reality in spiritual evil that it's real and it exists and there's there's a whole you know thing of hierarchy i was thinking this week about um conspiracy theories that if you think about conspiracy theories, which have kind of become very popular, thank you YouTube, right? They're everywhere. Um, that every conspiracy theory is premised on that there is this sort of secret group that is trying to gain jurisdiction over people through twisting and deceiving so that they can eventually subjugate them and kind of impose their evil will on them. That's, like, that's the premise of basically all conspiracy theories. Some hidden group is trying to rule the world. And Paul already told us that that, that exists, by the way. It's not a conspiracy. Now, people, they... they focus on flesh and blood, and they say, well, this group and that group and whatever, but Paul's saying, no, that's real, but it's not like what we think it is. It's spiritual evil. Oh, wow, that was neat. Um, is that me? No? It's me? See, we're dealing with spiritual warfare right now. We just rebuke it in Jesus' name. (laughs) The reason why this is so important, guys, is that these affect us personally. And And that's why he's warning them. It's not an out there somewhere reality saying like, no, no, this is hand to hand, it's wrestling. This is gonna affect you and I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want you to choose a comfortable, pretend Christianity where like we don't even talk about that kind of stuff because that's too weird for us, right? We, we don't, we don't wanna give the devil more credit than he deserves and I understand that. But oftentimes when we say that, we go to the opposite extreme and say, there's nothing spiritual ever going on here. There's no demon under any rock everywhere. And we pretend like it's not really a thing. And Paul doesn't want us to pay the price of that mentality. Um, One of the common questions that people will ask if they're a skeptic of Christianity is they will say, well, if God is real and he's sovereign like you guys think he is, and if he's good, why is there all this evil and suffering in the world? And honestly, if you've, if you've experienced tragedy, pain, trauma, loss, grief, and it's been very personal to you, you've probably had this question in some way. Why does this exist? Why did you let this happen? If you're real and you're supreme and you're sovereign, how could you let this happen? And what it is, it is an overly simplistic theology that takes some truths of the Bible and yet it, it uh, leaves out other truths of the Bible. And so it says, okay, yes, God is sovereign. The world, the word tells us that. He is the ruler of all things. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, that he is sovereign over all things. And it tells us that he's good, that he loves us, that he loves us to the degree that he would sacrifice his own son on a cross for our sins. Like that's the level of love that he has. That's the goodness of God. But it also tells us about human sin that God gives a range of will, of, of decision, of choice, where you and I make choices, and those choices not only affect us, but they affect all the people around us. 
And it says that in the garden there was a serpent, and it was Satan. And the whole story of the Bible has this other character. And so we can, be, we can fall prey to this over, overly simplistic theology that doesn't actually take the full biblical worldview into account. Which, by the way, the presence of evil and suffering in the world does not contradict the worldview of the Bible. It actually confirms it. It says, oh, oh my goodness, this is real. Spiritual warfare is real. Our friend Janeki that visited us, she's a new acquaintance with us from India. She has a, a beautiful ministry. She came and spoke. And I love, you know, Indian time and people from other cultures that have different, you know, it was going to be like a five-minute thing. And she just talked for like 40 minutes. It was the longest Sunday on record at Renaissance Church. And if you were here, way to go. Thanks for being, sticking with us. And she sends us this message to Jason that the state of Manipur is burning due, due to the persecution of Christians by Hindu radicals. The government has closed off the borders of this state. Uh, there have been at least 400 churches that have been burned. The homes of about 50,000 Christians have been burned. About 150 or so are confirmed to be dead already. Uh, they are, um, I'll be careful about how I say this, that they are assaulting Christian women and forcing them to walk through the streets without any clothing on. We saw a picture that would just break your heart. Um, that the local government is just giving guns to the radicals and saying, do whatever you want to do. And they're just shooting at random people in the streets. And we look at that and we're like, what is going on? And here's the thing. We are not battling against flesh and blood. That is straight demonic. Straight demonic. And so this is, this is real. There's a, a, a principality over that area that is angry about the gospel going forth, and it is trying to shut down the church. And guess what's going to happen? Jesus is still on his throne. The church of God is going to keep going. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And guess what? Revival is going to come to that place in the name of Jesus. Just watch. The Lord's going to do mighty wonders, and yet our hearts are just breaking for brothers and sisters that are going through the worst of the worst of the spiritual battle that we face. I was thinking about the Gospels of Jesus, that everywhere Jesus went, he was facing off against spiritual evil. That when he would go to a place that there were people who had physical illnesses or they had deformities or they had blindness, muteness, erratic behaviors, they had mental illnesses, what we would call a mental illness. And it says that Christ would drive out those evil spirits, that, that Jesus in his earthly ministry was, was coming against them and pushing them out, forcing them out by, it says, by the finger of God. Just a little finger. You're free. And when they were set free, they would receive healing. The, the illnesses would leave. The blind would hear. The mute would speak. The blind would see. I mean, it's just, just this incredible ministry of Jesus, which tells us that everywhere he went, they were everywhere. 
and that Jesus has come to bring us wholeness and peace. He's the Prince of Peace. And I think that as we uh, navigate a very secular world, we have to remember that we have spiritual answers to spiritual problems. The name of Jesus, it's real. And by the way, people thought Jesus was kooky. They said, this guy's got a demon. He's casting out demons by Beelzebub. To which Jesus gives the famous response, if a house is divided against itself, it shall not stand. It cannot stand. How could Satan cast out Satan? But then he uses a word picture and he says, a strong man guards his home and he keeps his possessions safe, right? He feels secure in his house. But then it says someone stronger comes along and he, he uh, takes away the weapons in which the strong man trusted and he plunders his house. And the point was this, Jesus is saying, I am someone stronger. The battle is real, but so is God's strength. And this should make your heart leap as a follower of Jesus to know that you follow the one who has power over all evil. That he has the the name uh, that says that every knee will bow to his name. And that the name of Jesus is so powerful and so strong that you and I can actually find strength in Jesus. Paul starts with this, be strengthened in the Lord and in his vast strength. Colossians 2.15 tells us, he disarmed the rulers and authorities, there's that word again, and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in capital H, him, Jesus. First John 4, 4, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And so it might feel kooky. It might even feel a little bit scary, but let me tell you this. You have the strong one in your corner. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have strength. It's real, but so is God's strength. The second thing that I think we need to understand from what Paul is saying is that you have everything you need for the battle in Christ. And that's a good word. If this, if this is real and it's affecting us personally, then we need to know, like, how do we prepare for this? Like, what do we do? And Paul says, well, God's done it for you. You have everything you need, and he's equipping us to stand. Now, if you've been following the war in Ukraine, you know what the word stand means because there have been battles for cities, and a city will stand or it will fall. And that's the picture, is that we are going to maintain the ground that we have been given through Christ, that he has saved us and he's redeemed us, and we are going to hold that ground that's our territory. This is God's land, and we're holding it, and so we're going to stand. That's the picture. We are to stand the ground that God has already won for us. 
It means to maintain your territory, to keep the land under the rightful government, to maintain your jurisdiction. And Paul says, in order to do this, what you need is he uses these two terms, the full armor and the whole armor. And here's the good news. God has given you everything you need to be fully and wholly protected in the battle. It is full and is whole armor for us. And he says, it's the armor of God, meaning it's not even your armor. God's armor that was tailor-made to fit you. It's beautiful, the whole and full armor of God. Now, I just want you to remember that this is a prison letter and that Paul has seen his share of soldiers. He's seen a lot of armor. In fact, he might even be chained to a Roman guard as he's writing this who has maybe some sort of armor on and he's just like thinking about all the things that God has done for us and he's saying, oh, this is beautiful. Like the people need to know everything that God has provided for them. And so he goes to this, this, uh, this sort of list, and each piece is so significant. And I just want you to consider with me what each piece is. The belt of truth. Now, the Roman soldiers had this thick, wide leather kind of thing that would cover the abdomen, right? And then what the, the King James Version says, to gird up your loins, it, it would cover all this. Now, ladies, if you've ever taken a self-defense class, you're probably trained to kick someone down low, men down low, right? Did you all know what it's about? The sensitive parts, you're right? That's what it's talking about. That this was a belt of tr- or a, a, a belt that would keep them. In fact, it was so rigid that when they're in the midst of battle, when someone's coming against them, that when they want to crumple, this thing would give them some, some rigidness in their, in their kind of midsection so that they would not crumble in battle. They could actually stay upright in the midst of battle. And it protected their most sensitive places. And so this means that Satan will attack us through lies and deception aimed at the sensitive parts of our lives. And you know this probably from experience, that most of us at some point in our lives had um, maybe something that was said to us, something that was said about us, something that happened against us. And the message was, you know, you're, we'll go through the list of you're fat, you're ugly, you're stupid, you won't amount to anything, you're just like so-and-so, um, you, you're weak, you're, you, you, you're, you're inadequate. And we all have these messages, and what happened is that that is a sensitive thing to you, and maybe somebody says something to you, or that you think they're implying something about you, and it just hits that spot in your life again, and that old feeling comes back, and all the insecurities start flooding into your mind, and all that comes right back, and that is, that's a tactic of the evil one to get us to crumble in battle, right? Aimed at the sensitive parts of our lives, speaking again those hurtful words that were just tailor-made to go right after your soul and to poison you. And what Paul's saying is, look, what you need in that moment is truth. Years, uh, I don't know if it was a year ago, a year and a half ago, we did a, a series on identity, and I keep this on my phone, I don't know if you can see that, but this is a, a screensaver we made, and it says, 
Through Christ, I am deeply loved, fully pleasing, totally forgiven, accepted, and complete in him. And what it is, it's just truth. So that whenever something hits that part of your life, you can go, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. truth through him, fully accepted, loved, forgiven. Jesus has done it all, and it protects the sensitive parts of our lives. We have truth to protect us. By the way, it's interesting to me that the truth covers the reproductive parts, and why I think that's interesting is that when a church loses truth, it actually loses spiritual potency. It becomes spiritually impotent, and it cannot reproduce itself, which is very important for us to understand in the spiritual battle as we are protecting truth in our life. God is wanting to do something through us where we're going to be used by him to, to actually share the truth with other people, and we want to plunder the kingdom of darkness with the truth of God's word. So we must be careful about truth in our life. Amen? So the belt of truth. The second thing, the breastplate of righteousness. This would guard the heart, the lungs, and the vitals. And friends, Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Or your translation might say that out of your heart flows all the issues of your life. The heart was the place of the, the deepest thinking, feeling, uh, your, your will, your emotions, your decisions. Like all of this flows from your heart. And the enemy absolutely wants to take out your heart. He's, he's wanting to, to go after that part of you, the deepest part of your life, and he wants to begin to twist things in there, I mean, to go after our hearts so that we will actually, um, that we will become really ineffective in our faith. He wants you to lose heart. And the, the means that God has provided for us is righteousness. And I've told you that that word means the state of one as they ought to be. And here's the thing about Christian right, righteousness. You cannot be righteous until you receive righteousness. Okay? The cross purchased righteousness for us. The scriptures tell us God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so the only way to begin to live righteously is actually to receive righteousness from God first. It's grace. It's as far as the east is from the west. All of my unrighteousness has been removed from me. God's dealing with my shame and my guilt and my regret. I'm, I'm just leaving that all at the cross and I'm picking up this new way of life and it's righteous, but I can't do it without first receiving the righteousness of God. It's an armor that comes over us and it starts with what Jesus did for you on the cross and it protects your heart, the righteousness of God. He talks about the feet that are sandaled with readiness for the gospel of 
piece. Now, this is interesting. The Roman soldiers had two different types of footwear, and one type had a lot of, like, metal plating, and it was just for, like, standing, and, like, they're coming at me, and they're going to, like, try to cut my ankles, and so I need to have this thing protected. But there was another type that was a lighter shoe, and it was actually meant to advance. Like, we're going to march, and we're going to advance, and that's the picture that he's using here. These are not, like, when we say stand, it's not that, like, you're, like, not moving. Stay home. We're standing. Don't go outside, right? No, no. He's saying, you know, we're advancing with the gospel of peace, that you and I are to be advancing the news of Jesus. And how interesting that in the middle of a spiritual battle that we are advancing a gospel of peace. I've always been taught that the only offensive weapon we had was the sword of the spirit. But this is actually an offensive posture. We're, we're advancing together and it's with the good news of Jesus. It's a readiness, which means this, the devil wants to make you question your testimony he wants to keep you from advancing it. He wants to make you super insecure about talking about Jesus. He wants to make you feel like I should never say that or I have to have all the answers. He wants to keep you slothful in the sharing of the gospel. And the Lord says this to us, we need to be sharing it. It's actually part of our armor to be sandaled with readiness. By the way, Satan hates this message so much because it is God's chosen instrument to set captives free. It's a contested message. Paul goes on to talk about the shield of faith. Now, a shield is not like a tiny little like Thor shield or Captain America shield or whatever, right? This was like a big, like almost like a door. Like if you've seen um, riot, you know, uh, police as they have those big plastic shields and they can create like a wall. That's what the Romans would do. They had these big, uh, these big wooden shields that were covered in leather and the leather would be doused in water. And they would come together. They would actually get a formation and they would come together shield to shield. This is a beautiful picture of the church. And they would actually join their shields and create like this impenetrable uh, wall against arrows that were being shot at them. And they could advance together, slowly moving against this attacking force. It also tells us something about the tactic of the enemy, that there are flaming arrows that come at us. And arrows are different than like that little wrestling, that hand-to-hand. It's like something from out there gets lobbed at this whole group of people, and it hits you, and you're like, ah! And that's one of the schemes of the evil one. He says that we have a helmet of salvation. If you've ever seen a Roman helmet, they have this like metal thing and then it has like a thing in the middle, you know, like it goes across the nose. And it was designed for both the seen and the unseen attacks. That, that when the, the, the anticipated and the unanticipated attacks, that you were ready at all times. And Paul says what we have to keep us ready is salvation. That Christ has saved us. Lastly, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. 
The Roman soldiers had different types of swords, but this one refers to a short sword that would be used in close battle, close hand-to-hand battle. And that's the picture that he's saying. It's like, this is going to be some hand-to-hand. It's going to be close. And I was thinking about the life of Jesus when he's tempted in the garden, for, where he's tempted in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And it says that the devil was tempting him, and the devil was using what to tempt him? Do you know? Scripture. So one of the tactics that the enemy uses, he'll take Bible verses and he'll twist them. And then he'll put them in your face like, you know, if you really love Jesus, da-da-da, you know? He was appealing to the, the, trying to appeal to a fleshliness in Jesus. And how did Jesus respond every time? With the true word of God. In context, on point, untwisted, boom. Which means this. The Holy Spirit wants to equip you in the moment, in the evil day, with words that come from the scripture so that you'll know how to respond. Which, by the way, if you don't read your Bible, you might want to start it's strategic. It's not about religious, you know, activities. It's about the life of God coming into you so that when the evil day comes, you've got something to draw from, right? It's like a golf bag, and I've got a few golf clubs in there. And when the, the day comes, I've got my nine iron. I'm like, bam, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is the picture. We need the word of God, the sword of the spirit. We have everything we need for the battle in Christ. Lastly, Point three, prayer is our strategic supply line for winning the battle. I think prayer might be the most contested spiritual practice in your life. You probably know this from experience. You get really tired. You get really busy. You get really distracted. When you are praying, you're thinking about, I need to mow the lawn today, you know? Your mind wanders. It's the most contested practice in our life because it's the most powerful practice. And it's not powerful because it's a cool Christian ritual. It's powerful because you have the ear of the almighty God. And it's strategic because what God does is he prompts our prayers, that he gives us words to pray. And you start praying things for your family or praying things for your kids or praying things for your school or praying things for your church or praying things for your city. And the Holy Spirit is prompting you because God is always looking for co-laborers. He's he's looking for a people that will join him, that will get on their knees, and that they will pray, and they will pray what he's praying, right? That that we're listening to the Holy Spirit, and we're praying the things that are coming out of our hearts with every prayer and request, as he says in in the passage. That we're making intercession for the saints. We're praying for all the things. And then God, he's he's this beautiful thing. He's looking to co-labor with you and put prayers in your heart so when you pray them, he's going to act on them. It's strategic to have the almighty God. Billy Graham said, a prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. Prayer is powerful and it's strategic because God tells the man who cares. So friends, what do we do with all this? Well, here's what I think Paul wants us to do. 
is that we would stop pretending like it's not real. And that we would wake up and that we would take up God's armor. Wake up and take up God's armor. Here's the coolest thing about the armor of God. The war is already won. It's already won. Jesus already rose from the dead. He's already, he's already publicly disgraced the rulers and authorities of this age. They're angry. They're mad. They're trying to make you as miserable as possible. They're trying to make you as sick as possible. They're trying to make you, uh, your, your, your life as ineffective as possible because they just don't want the Jesus on the inside of you coming on the outside of you. And so they're angry and they're, they're scheming against us. And so what we need to do is just wake up and take up the armor of God and know the battle's already won. Jesus has already settled this. His name has power. I'm going to know how to wield it. He's going to give me verses in the moment, scriptures in the moment. Like, I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be scared. I can stand on the finished work of Jesus, and I can take up the armor of God. We can stand in the vast strength of God. So what I want us to do together as we close out is we're gonna have a time to respond. And what I wanna ask you to do is to be really honest with yourself about where is the battle raging the most for you? Where is it raging the most? What's, what's the piece of the armor that you're like, oh yeah, 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 I need that. I need that helmet of salvation. I, I need that breastplate of, of righteousness, right? I, I'm, I've been opening myself up to the jurisdiction of the evil one because I have not been taking the righteousness of God and living in it. And so I'm opening myself up to all this spiritual attack. And what I need to do is put that armor back on and say, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to, I'm going to get some accountability for that part of my life, right? I'm going to put on the breastplate of righteousness because I don't want that junk in my life. Maybe it's that belt of truth. Like I just need the truth of God in my life right now. Whatever it is, I want you to be really honest with yourself about where is the battle raging for you because God is for you, he's with you, he loves you, he wants to use you, and he does not want you falling under the scheme of the evil one. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To support our work, you can like, share, subscribe, or you can donate at rind-church.org.